All right, three, two, one, we're officially on. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the True Leisure Podcast. A big welcome to everyone who is watching today. I hope you all are having a wonderful day so far. Today, we're talking about a word that many of you might be familiar with. Nostalgia. Nostalgia, in normal context, in modern day context, refers to a longing or a fond memory of the past. However, this wasn't always the case. The word nostalgia was coined by a Swiss doctor named Johannes Hofer, who named the condition by identifying this type of homesickness homesickness in Swiss mercenary soldiers. He used the word to describe a sort of uh, a manic state the soldiers would go into when they would experience homesickness. Over the years, especially during the end of the 19th century, the meaning of the word nostalgia changed from homesickness to a fond memory of the past. Alex, can you, you researched a bit into nostalgia. Could you go into a little bit about what is nostalgia and what is the purpose of it in psychological context? Yes. So, how about, real quick, can we agree on a definition for the word that we'll use for the rest of the podcast? Yeah. So, the way that I would define it is this notion of a longing mm-hmm. for aspects of a person's personal or a historically learned past. Right. So, like, just... Longing for the past. Yeah, uh, uh, more specifically, a longing for things in the present to be the way things were in the past. Right. Okay, so given that, some psychological functions of nostalgia. One of the bigger ones is that it's an emotional unifier. And by that, I mean... It encourages us to look at the self over time so that we are better informed for the future. Additionally, it's a highly social trait. It connects us with other people, especially with people that gave us unconditional love when we were born. And then it branches off to bigger friend groups and stuff like that. So it's this social connector for people that we know and care about, and it's an emotional unifier for ourself over time. And a little bit more about the feeling of nostalgia. I think that we can all agree that it's kind of bittersweet. It helps with this So it's sweet in that looking at the the past feels good because there's connection between these memories and emotional states, right? Right. But it's also bitter in that it shows us that we can't possibly return to this past. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. 
Um, does anybody have anything to add before? I have a couple things on types of nostalgia. Um, I'd just like a really quick clarifier. So you said it was just longing for the past, right? But does that mean, say, someone born in the 2000s could have nostalgic emotions towards something like 90s rock? Like, hmm. So that actually leads into the types. So there's the, the personal nostalgia where it's something that you've actually experienced that you're longing for aspects of. Mm-hmm. An example would be you lived in the 50s and you felt that it was better during that time because you it's like the way that you remember it. Yeah. There's also historical nostalgia, which is longing for aspects that kind of date back before you were born. And I think that this arises from, both of these kind of arise from dissatisfaction with the present. I'd have to agree with that. One of the main examples I can think of that is like, you know, before phones, or before cell phones, I mean, and before technology, how people would actually, you know, hang out after school and people were a lot closer in person rather than online. I can see that being very, very, you know, present in a lot of uh, young people's thoughts like, oh, I missed that just by a few years. Right. Um, like furthermore, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to um, mention that nostalgia is also a concept used in Homer's The Odyssey. If you guys want to talk a little bit about that, because Homer describes nostalgia or more specifically nostos, which is the Greek prefix for nostalgia, as being the return home to Troy, from Troy, by sea. Right, that's like the whole theme of the story right right it's epic to return home after victorious yeah being victorious in battle yeah it definitely relates to the history of the word mm-hmm. like originally it was this homesickness right mm-hmm. and now it's more related to this emotional feeling Right. But it's it's kind of interesting because in the Iliad by um, Achilles' nostos is a bit different from Homer's because Achilles, he his idea of nostos is that he won't have one because he will either die in the war or he won't die in the war, and if he doesn't die in the war, that means he led an insignificant life. Therefore, he won't experience Nostos. So, from that perspective, it sort of becomes like a, um, like a, a um, I would say, a longing for war rather than a longing for home. So, like, a longing to be away from home? 
it's I think it's more specifically a longing to be a part of the war again. Because okay, so... if you if you think about it in the Iliad, Achilles his idea about Nostos is that he won't have one because it, oh, one out of he knows that one out of two things is going to happen. Either he dies in the war, therefore rendering the idea of Nostos obsolete because he's dead. Or he doesn't die in the war, but that means he won't experience Nostos anyway because if he doesn't die in the war, that means his participation in the war wasn't significant enough. Hmm. It kind of reminds me of... Um, in a, there was a book I read in junior year called uh, The Things We Carried. Or The Things They Carried. Mm-hmm. And it was a book about... It took place in the Vietnam War. And it just talked about how it was a different environment. And the survivor, the one man who came back, he, you know, longed for being back there because back home didn't feel like home anymore. So I think that's kind of similar to what Achilles might have been um, referring to as in like a longing to go back to the world that you have gotten used to. Right? Right. For him, for him, especially Achilles, it was a, uh, a matter of glory as well. So that idea of glory within war and nostosis was quite uh, uh, intertwined. I was wondering what you guys think. Um, so they have this longing for war or being in the war setting, is that because it must be because they have some positive association with it? Mm-hmm. Or at least right. relatively to being at home? Right. It's like I said, the aspect of glory. Right. Because um, to not participate in the war means that you led an insignificant life. Do you think that's the same for the the story that G was referring to. Oh, I think what I think it could have some. I I definitely think it has some uh, similarities or at least some connections because even in modern times we do see that uh, we do hear stories about veterans coming from war and how they have a hard time adjusting because they become so used to that environment. Right. Um, Gee, did they elaborate further in the book? They kind of had some examples of it happening, but they didn't really go into depth with it. You know how writers are. They they kind of shroud everything in symbolism and metaphor. I remember specifically there was an example of this young girl who dropped into the war zone. I forget why, but she got to see firsthand what the soldiers did. And... I don't know, she kind of transformed, like her personality changed from being, you know, this bubbly, sweet girl that um, was like a sh- ray of sunshine. And slowly she just became a cold-blooded killer. And sometimes she would leave the base camp for weeks at a time to just, you know, kill 
Viet and just be on her own and kind of embrace that environment. So I think the whole point of that is to show that war changes a person rather than showing that um, veterans long for war, I guess. It's like, it's so profoundly emotional. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, and even in the context of um, uh, Greek epics, uh, like especially like we talked about the Odyssey and the Iliad, uh, the idea of Nostos in, in both of them are quite different, but not different at the same time because and there's there's two different concepts that are at play here. One is nostos and one is cleos. Uh, so cleos means glory. And in the Odyssey, we see that the idea of nostos and cleos go hand in hand because nostos means returning home from the war. But with the Iliad, that's not exactly the case from what I from what I've understood from reading it because nostos does not mean returning home from the war because Returning home from the war means you don't experience it because uh, your participation was too insignificant. So I think it's different. I think it's quite interesting how if we tie that into the modern day concept of nostalgia, it's it's quite interesting to see how two things, when they essentially mean the same thing, can also be pulls apart with um, the idea of nostalgia as well because in the real world for when we talk about nostalgia specifically for different people it means different things Um, would you say that there is an agreed kind of feeling of nostalgia though yeah so i think the underlying feeling of it is the same so the underlying feeling is like you described that bittersweet uh longing for the past for things to be the way things were um but knowing that that can't happen because obviously no one can change the past um but on the surface level it it can be different because people long for different things for different times and it can be um it can be uh, it can clash as well for so i think the best example i can think of is like you said people who lived in the 50s might say that that time was better so they um experienced nostalgia of that but another person who lived in the 50s might have also experienced uh, the height of segregation so for them that feeling of nostalgia is not there but rather it would be for something else. You, you cut out. Could you repeat that last part? I said, so the, um, did you get the part where I said that on the surface level, it would be different? It was super choppy again. Could you, um, <laughs> okay. Um, I don't so know what you'd suggest. Basically what I said that when we talk about the modern day concept of nostalgia, the underlying feeling, that feeling of longingness, that bittersweet longingness, knowing that you can't change the past, 
is the same. But on the surface level, it could be different because people long for different things. And two people who might have lived in the same generation might experience nostalgia a lot differently. Like, for example, like you said, somebody who lived in the 50s might think of that time as being better. But somebody else who lived in the 50s who experienced the height of segregation and racism might say that the 50s were a really bad time to live. So I think it's interesting how, uh, like we talked about the Greek tragedy, the Greek epics, the main, the idea of Nostos being different. So for th this, um, in this context, the idea of nostalgia is also different because uh, the the idea that it stems from, the memories that it stems from are different. Or even if they're not different, they're associated with different emotions. I'm glad you brought that up. That's really important to consider because using that the same good old days United States right example it's an idealization mm -hmm. of the past right right because obviously they're not remembering the bad stuff mm -hmm. about those times right a great example was the segregation example you gave discrimination for women etc right so it's really important when thinking about nostalgia to consider the fallibility of memory. Right. And how we are selective in remembering things. Right. And there's another thing I want to mention that there is like this example where people are longing for the older way that things were done, right? Mm -hmm. There's also the possibility of distorting memories negatively. Okay. An example would be... So there's the example where you remember the great things that happened in the 50s. Like, you remember your family life and not living like paycheck to paycheck not having enough food right but then right. somebody else could have that experience and they think wow the 50s sucked right even though they're selectively remembering the more negative things mm -hmm. like whereas the, the people that want it are kind of selecting it the positive things mm-hmm some people can remember the negative things more profoundly, and then that can make them think a very different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just hard to see. Like, uh, I don't know if I associate nostalgia with that kind of like that kind of feeling. Like, like if you start the sentence with like "back in my day," like it's almost more like a comparison of like the ideal way versus the modern way. With the ideal being like your past, or what's but perceived to be the ideal. I can see way, like right? a few things, like yeah, yeah, perceived to be at least. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like the the subjectively ideal way. Right. Though, 
would do you guys ever like feel like you get that nostalgic feeling from something like that that what like the way it used to be was better like like comparing to the past when like someone brings up something so like an example would be like uh somebody's like playing you see like a little kid playing fortnite online and you're just like hey back in my day i remember when i was just playing uh like pokemon on the nintendo ds and then i had to use bluetooth to play mario kart with everybody on the bus you know like would you consider that a nostalgic feeling or just like a comparison more i guess a comparison but i don't really know what's being compared in that example they're like completely separate experiences you're you're comparing like what your childhood is like versus like the other yeah exactly okay yeah i guess it could be comparison but nostalgia the reason why you made make the comparison in the first place the reason why you feel the need to you know boast your childhood over this person's is because nostalgia because you miss that way of life and you want it to be back ah i see i see like you want it to be you know it was a simpler time when uh the only worry you had was i guess being in that bus and making sure that the connection was stable right that yeah so it was it's the longing for that uh moment i guess I have something to add on to that. There's also, with the example of, I guess, parenting, nostalgia has this ability to connect each generation to the last, passing down what is perceived to be the best of the past, right? We're kind of inclined toward progression. So for the example of, some kid playing Fortnite and it looks like borderline like ADHD developing. Whereas the example for my thing is like playing Mario Kart DS or something and just chilling out with my friends. And it was, it, it had to be in person because there wasn't really that much. There was Wi-Fi connection, but there is a chance for me to do it at school and stuff like that. So it's this, I wanted to point out this part of it is fear that the next generation is going to be worse off because of the way that things have changed. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. Like I remember growing up, I, I grew up on flash games on internet explorer like, so I had to deal with, you know, slow Wi-Fi and, or just, uh, you know, how it used to take so long for a page to load that you would actually see, like, it would render line by line going from top to bottom. You guys remember that? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> it renders, like, that line of the graphics? Yeah, yeah, like, from top to bottom god yeah that was a long time ago man yeah and um just like waiting forever for the page to load i don't know the reason why i bring that up is because i feel like 
that is one of the things that has contributed to me being, I consider myself to be very patient. And so um, I would say that's one of the things that kind of attributed to that. Because I would, I would literally just stare at the screen. I wouldn't really, you know, go out to try to do something else because there was nothing else to do. So that's a thing that I kind of see, like you said, a fear for the future, right? Of future generation that what are they going to do when uh, they're going to come up with the same situation, right? I mean, obviously they'll hopefully be more tech savvy, but they'll also grow more impatient, I guess. And um, not really know like how to deal with, things like that. Yeah, it's definitely a concern, but like, I feel like if the next generation is like growing up with all these differences, eventually like when they become more of age, like things will slowly shift to like fit with that, not not narrative, but like that culture. Like we're used to like things like Reddit. We have some somewhat fast-paced content that we get to consume but it's not too much like we're still used to these games like like the MOBAs that are 45 minutes long a game as and like I think the average FPS a game still is like around that length like we can still hold an attention span but maybe when the next generation comes when they're not used to these slower burn games or like slower burn movies shorter more active forms of entertainment might come out to try to like adhere to them yeah definitely like that's that's the concern that attention span like won't be it's getting smaller but i honestly it's hard to judge that because it's you can't really you can't really use a single person from the future generation as that one thing that i wanted to just bring up was that i remember my me and my cousin discussed this like we grew up without cell phones like we i mean they we had cell phones i mean you didn't have your own cell phone i guess like you didn't have your own data plan and you didn't even have your own device and we didn't get ours until like midway through uh mid middle school or even high school so you know we were talking like you know when we have kids maybe we shouldn't give them cell phones right off the bat because that's how we experienced it right but the concern is that maybe technology will have been so advanced that it will be literally impossible socially at least for your kid to grow up without a cell phone or something along that line. So it's kind of a dilemma, I guess. Do you want to tr- do you want to raise them the old-fashioned way or do you want them to actually have a social life? Yeah, it can get kind of confusing. I'm already struggling without game pigeon right now, dude. <laughs> yeah. Alex, did you have something? Yeah, I have something to add real quick on the thing that she was talking about with the the dilemma of progression versus 
I guess, safety. So, I don't, I don't know if you guys agree, but I would say that we were kind of born in this generation where it was right on the cusp of this huge information spread, like entertainment, streaming stuff. Yeah. We had TV. I had, we probably all had VHS for a little bit. Definitely. We didn't have stuff like Netflix streaming until we were like, when did that come out? Like when we were 12 or something? Yeah, like just as we were hitting puberty. So we were, what I'm trying to argue is we were kind of at this cusp of this constant stream of information that's super easily accessed. So that might contribute a lot to that uh, attention span deficit thing. Like where we were, our circumstances allowed us to be more tolerant of that thing. Like we didn't get exposed to it immediately like some people are with people giving their kids iPads and stuff. Yeah, we're definitely, I would say we're lucky in that regard for sure. Just judging what's going to happen next is so hard. Yeah, and the reason I say that is because, again, you said that we were born on, like, the cusp, right? So that meant behind us are all the old-fashioned people, and in front of us are all of the new new age kids. So it's like mm-hmm. we have to decide for ourselves, like, which half we associate with or if we do both or just neither. And it's just, again, it's, it's very awkward for a generation like that because we didn't know that no one knew that this was going to happen when we were born. So it's definitely a lot more different than other generations, I suppose. Because other generations, I guess, like, they didn't have to deal with, you know, they probably had to deal with some level of criticism, but not as much as there is now. Probably because of media and just globalization through the internet. But again, it was very, it's a, it's a conflicting time. Anyways, how, um, any other thoughts before we continue? Yeah. I have one more thing that I think would be good to talk about for the function of nostalgia. So I think I talked about how it's kind of a stabilizing force. Like it brings memories of when we were loved unconditionally and who we are during difficult situations. So I don't know if you guys, I think you guys would agree, but when bad things happen, we kind of tend to look at the past a little bit. Like listening to music that makes us feel a certain way or thinking about certain things in the past. Right. Yeah, definitely. So I was wondering what you guys thought of can nostalgia potentially be destructive? So to start that conversation... 
nostalgia is mostly correlated with pro-social emotions and it's unlikely to be associated with anger and hostility just through um, people's databases of this. But for the, ex- I didn't get to talk about this when it came up, but the example of the war veterans if people don't share the same nostalgic memories like somebody's way older and it's harder to connect with people like our grandparents you know because we don't share these same experiences like they'll talk about some tv show or something from the 50s right and then we have no way of kind of knowing what that is or how that felt so i think it has potential to be isolating if somebody else doesn't share that same experience with you when you're sharing it another thing is um the veterans like when they come back from war they have a hard time readjusting back to society with people that don't really have a grasp of what it's like to go through war like they might find unemployment and stuff like that right so i was wondering what you guys think of nostalgia as a destructive force i definitely think that nostalgia does yeah I definitely think nostalgia does have a. No, continue, You're doing good. Okay, I definitely think nostalgia does have a lot of destructive potential. So, like you said, it's unlikely to be associated with feelings of hostility and anger. But I think if we think about what the person is feeling nostalgia for, it definitely has that potential. So I guess I'll use my previous example of uh, segregation and racism. So uh, a lot of people who lived during the 50s and 60s with that racist mindset are still, um, what's it called? Uh, they, it's reasonable to assume that they still have that mindset today. So I guess if we think about that, them having nostalgia of that time period and more specifically those aspects of it, those negative aspects of it, then I could say, then we could say that nostalgia is associated with anger and hostility. And as, and uh, as far uh, as, I it, mean, aside from that being a little too general, go for it. Uh, no, go complete your thought. Would you say being too general? You're cutting out a little bit. Uh, I was just going to warn, like, that might be too general of a statement, like a little dangerous. Because I know my dad, he came here just as the racism was starting to dissipate. Mm-hmm. And, like, he he's, like, the very opposite of that. He, he's a very, like he judges what he sees as opposed to like judges off like racial patterns or stuff. Right. I mean, I'm not talking about, yeah, it's de- 
I mean, yeah, I mean, that wasn't really a, like a blanket statement for everyone. Like I said, it's reasonable to assume that some people who lived during that time period would might still have that uh, mindset. So if they do, then, and they are nostalgic about those aspects of it, then I would say that nostalgia is associated with anger and hostility. Like. Mm-hmm. I think we could definitely... Okay. I think we could definitely, like... I, I want to talk about self-destructive nostalgia. It's... The way I see it, in some regards, is... Again, you see things, like... As if you you think that the present is terrible, like you don't want to live anymore in the present because the past was way better and it's never coming back. And people get you know pretty I guess depressed over that kind of thing, knowing that they'll never return, they'll never go back to the glory days, and it's not to say anything about their character it's just you can they can you can be pretty angry i guess that things will never be the same and it would cause you to just you know i guess go on this little spiral of self uh self depreciation things like that Alex, uh, do you have anything you want to add? You're raising your hand. Yeah. I wanted to emphasize, like, how important the psychological profile of somebody, like, at the time of reflecting on nostalgic memories. An example would be during Thanksgiving, Mm. right? And somebody's looking back at the past and they're looking at how, wow, when I was six years old, we barely even had food. I didn't have, we didn't have enough food. And now look how far we've gotten. Look at how great everything is. But then somebody else who, you know, somebody who's depressed or something like that could be at that Thanksgiving table and think back to those memories. And those memories could make them feel even worse in the moment, right? Just because they kind of interpret them a different way. It's like, I feel bad now. Present sucks. Past was also bad. So it compounds on itself. Yeah. Even though things are better now. Bring it up because... Again, it could be like you said, Thanksgiving in uh, quarantine. I mean, let's assume that people, you know, still stay at home. But again, like Thanksgiving hasn't happened yet. It's like a month off or two months off. But just thinking about how when people get back together for those things, I guess, they'll notice how different it is. A different feeling, having to obey different guidelines and stuff. Different laws. 
not entirely sure where I was going with this. It's definitely a in the present. You're, we're definitely seeing that nostalgia come up again because not only are people having a ton of time to introspect because they're at home, right? There's also this. Obviously, it, this is less satisfying than before for most people because we're limited in what we can do now and there's more fear of you know getting covid or some other more tense political idea or whatever like something like that yeah that i think that's where i was trying to go that you'd think about back when you didn't we didn't have to worry about all this right mm-hmm that's what I was thinking. It's kind of crazy, like, the power of nostalgia, though. Like, like as of recent times, we see, like, the new Mulan came out, where Disney tries to kind of... Screw everything up? Not, well, they did, but they weren't trying to, I don't think. They were trying to take advantage of our nostalgia, because I don't know if you guys saw Mulan, but to a lot of people, it's a really good movie with a lot of emotional connection a lot of songs that jog everybody's memory and disney was trying to take advantage of that like by one making it an exclusive and two by just like putting the same title even though it's completely different and i think a lot of different Companies do the same thing. I, I don't have a lot of examples on the top of my head. If anybody else has any, feel free to share. Yeah, one of the main criticisms I heard about the movie is that in the original Mulan, um, the main character like wasn't anyone, I guess, special. They built up and they trained, I guess, to be who they were at the end. And, um, you know, the development of character is why the movie is beloved. But in the new Mulan, just right off the bat, she's already, like, kicking people's uh, behinds. <laughs> it's yeah. it kind of... It, it, what they did, instead of developing her feminine character, was making her more masculine to show that... To show, I guess... Um, What's I don't know what the term is anymore, but um, independence, autonomy. I I I think the problem was like that. There are some core themes with Mulan: growth, going against what is expected, doing what's right, and a lot of that is almost thrown by the wayside, and they just make her a Mary Sue, and it's really, really. There's so many problems with that movie. The editing was terrible. But I think the point I was trying to make is that nostalgia is so powerful that even companies are able to recognize that they can use it to their advantage. So I was curious, how much would you guys attribute this nostalgic societal upbringing, I guess not upbringing, revival to 
dissatisfaction with the present. Because I don't think people were making products solely based on nostalgia a long time ago. So is that... Do you guys think that that's... Like these remixes and stuff like that? Remasters are being made because people are so dissatisfied with the way that things are now? Or is it just because people are finally becoming... I guess... They're thinking about nostalgia as a phenomenon now, as opposed to before they didn't. I think it's more about having a more globalized culture. Like, so if you looked at America, maybe a hundred years ago, there was barely anything like connecting the different cultures between states. Even me as a Californian going over to Arizona, I can see a big difference. But the thing that makes us similar is uh, we have two different types of phones that we use. We have two different operating systems. We have a lot of movies we all can relate to. We have a lot of songs, artists. We have this, a lot of influencers that reach out to people from everywhere. And that just creates a lot of things you can use as fuel for nostalgia. I can definitely say that in the gaming industry, at least, the reason why there have been so many reboots, remasters, and remakes is because they saw that they see that the original formula worked, and so they want it to work again. Some examples I can think are remakes of um, Crash Bandicoot, uh, remasters for old games like Resident Evil, and even like just bringing uh, games to a different platform like Halo uh, on PC. And again, I think that's because companies are starting to realize that they can use, because everything on the internet is permanent somewhat, they know that people will remember them. And so there will be hype uh, in regards to, you know, having that thing that people have very fond memories of come back. So I was, you know, that's a great point. And um, I was also wondering how much do you think is, um, related to the problems that the game industry has now. Example would be how people were really dissatisfied with microtransactions. And people think that this microtransaction stuff is making games less good. And because another thing is games having much more resources at their disposal they're being they're not putting as much work into them because they're not limited in terms of memory or something like that like i've seen that argument a lot with older games stuff like comparing mario 64 which was like a masterpiece to 
games that are similar today, like ukulele or whatever, and they choked on that one. So, um, I guess where I'm going with this is uh, I wanted to mention this part that might have been a result of this discontent with the game industry as a whole, and they want to go back to the ways that people made games before. I think part of it is... So if we think back to Mario 64, we have everybody on that team building the game almost from the ground up. They took so much time just thinking about the in-depth mechanics. Probably, uh, I would say at least 20 to 30% of the resources were used just to perfect all those moves that Mario could do to get a strong basis. Nowadays, we don't have that strong emotional connection because we have tools that make it easier. Like we have Game Maker, we have basic default physics engines that we can rely on. We don't have these emotional connections to these tools. So we don't necessarily act lazy because we can. We just don't have the same type of push. I think, I don't know about emotional connection to tools, but I can definitely say that, um, here's the way I see it. Back then, when Mario was a masterpiece, right? Or it still is, but back when Mario came out, no one expected something like Mario to exist. And there, it was limited technology at the time, which is why it had so many limitations, uh, I guess, in memory and graphically and things like that. Like, I remember reading an... I remember reading a meme that said that the entire game of Mario, the file size of the game was less than a, the screenshot that I, that was taken of it. And so it's, I think back then, like they didn't have the expectations of a masterpiece for video games. And now that, you know, the industry has evolved and tech has advanced significantly that expectations have gone up and they're not being met. I, I think that's what the, that's what it is, I guess. That's a really good point because like maybe it's the, the technological improvement is way outpacing what people can reasonably do. Definitely. I mean, just take a look at the halo infinite gameplay reveal. People were so upset about it. Even though functionally it worked really well as a game, the mechanics looked pretty solid and everything. Everyone was super uptight. Like they were really, really mad about the graphics because they expected the graphics were going to be better. It was advertised that it was going to run on a new engine that's more powerful than ever. And they just didn't see it in the reveal. Right. So, yeah, definitely not meeting expectations is why the gaming industry has gotten a lot more, um, I guess, uh, it's competitive. It's like, What's the right word? It's like overhyped almost. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be going into game development, so I'm going to have to deal with these things, but 
it's definitely important to keep in mind. Yeah. See, but when we look at the games that are fueled by nostalgia, at least like in terms of success stories, we see how much better they are. So Undertale, like heavily inspired by Earthbound, and he's obviously has some emotional connection to all like the effort he put in and look where that's at. I don't I don't know if Scott Cawthon had any inspiration. Probably just for the classic horror genre, if anything. Though, again, putting in a lot of work on these indie titles, just sinking in time, sinking in thought, really does result in a product that even if it's very basic at a technological level, it comes out with something that a lot of people can relate to. Um, I thought of an example that might be interesting to consider. So, you guys remember when Sonic Mania came out? With uh, Sonic Forces? Yeah. Everybody kind of said that Sonic Mania was the better game because um, the, the person that developed it was somebody that made ROM hacks of the original games, I think. And they had the person that knew exactly what made the old games good make a new game. Whereas when Sonic Forces came out, there is a lot less positive feedback because it felt like the studio was kind of losing sight of what made the games good, right? So um, where I'm getting at with this is Maybe there's some relation to this higher and higher expectation from technological advancement that's causing companies to like lose sight of who they're actually designing games for. I definitely agree with that. There's a huge difference. Like, or not a huge, actually, no, the opposite. There's a fine line, <laughs> I meant to say. There's a fine line between adding new mechanics to your game and completely changing the formula of the game. Like when Sonic made the switch from 2D to 3D, because Mario made the switch to 2D to 3D, Mario kept the same formula, but added new mechanics, whereas Sonic, they changed their entire formula. And that's what people didn't like. Hey, go. he still go fast, though. Yeah, just... Motion blur. <laughs> Do you guys want to talk about specific examples more than... um? We've talked about games being remade, but specific examples in maybe music and advertising? I do have a story that I want to convey, but I'll wait for you guys to go first. Okay. Um, I have I something think... to say on music real quick. Is um, Are you guys familiar with all of the different wave genres? Like synthwave and vaporwave? Uh, you can... No. You want to tell us? Yeah. Okay. I think, G, you've listened to Macintosh HD at one point. Ratintosh. <laughs> yeah. 
So the whole point, like the whole foundational building block of those genres is that for Synthwave, it sounded like the 80s and 90s, I'm pretty sure. And Vaporwave just uses a ton of samples and makes the sound the sound different. Like a lot of Vaporwave is them taking samples from a song and like slowing it down and it's almost the same song. And it's like giving a new spin on this past loved memory of this song and the things associated with it. I think that that's the biggest music example of nostalgic revival of things that I can think of. Yeah, it makes sense. Like I'm, I know what you mean. I've heard those like synthwave uh, or vaporwave versions of classic songs, as well as uh, video game soundtrack remixes, as well. And then um, I don't know. I guess the closest experience I've had with. Uh, wave is the stranger things main theme song so but i definitely know about that music trend of just slowing things down and adding synths anyone else have any examples Uh, i have another musical example i listen to a decent amount of rap and a lot of the times people like i listen to a lot of like white rappers okay so no judge but eminem and logic both tend to sample older songs from like notorious big and just other popular riffs and use those similar beats or tunes or vocal samples to create a new song with almost a similar feel but uh, they put their own spin on it, almost like a mixtape. And I don't know if they're necessarily exploiting nostalgia. It's almost more like they're taking inspiration from their nostalgic feeling of a past song. So that's a little interesting side on the hip-hop. So it's kind of like they're using their feeling towards that sample to... Uh, it's kind of a leverage, right? To make it more emotionally involving in the song. I think it does have that effect, though I don't know if the intention is that. I, uh, I have seen Lo-Fi do the same thing, actually. With Oh, yeah. If you, yeah, if you guys see, like, Pokemon-inspired Lo-Fi, Zelda-inspired Lo-Fi, it takes some of the, the same musical ideas and just puts a Lo-Fi spin on it. It makes it... Like, lo-fi makes it lower quality sounding. Like, they put the crackling on purpose because that's what older sound systems sounded like, right? And it's also Actually, it also sounds like white noise. I guess. Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, I don't so, personally know. It, I can see it. I think that genre is also founded on nostalgia. Almost, yeah. I could definitely see that. How about how about personal experiences? 
What do you guys? What What is something you hear or see that instantly says nostalgia? Hang on. Before we get into that, I still had my story, but I just wanted to know if Akash, did you have anything about like I remember like any anything about musical nostalgia and how it can relate to music in the future? Oh yeah. So um, I was reading the story about this one man uh, who was listening to a song that was his favorite song, basically, and he didn't understand why he liked that song so much. And one time he went to, I think, I think he went to the band's one of the live concerts and he met the, the people in the band and he asked them about that song and they told them that it was based off of this melody, uh, this really old melody. And he remembered that that melody was his favorite song as a kid. So that was, uh, I thought it was a really interesting thing uh, because it, it shows how nostalgia, like even unconscious nostalgia could affect your choices and your likes and dislikes because even though he didn't know, he didn't know why he liked that song so much, it was associated with something from his past. Mm, for me, that's basically like, impulse buying games on steam in a mm -hmm. nutshell so here's my story with nostalgia and music and advertising so uh surprisingly it's not about metal at all one of my favorite orchestral compositions is called a Walk in the Woods by Martin O'Donnell. If you heard that name, you'd know that he worked for Bungie on Halo. So A Walk in the Woods has a very, very iconic uh, chord progression. And a lot of the old time Halo players will instantly recognize it. So... One thing that Martin O'Donnell did, he worked on pretty much every Halo before uh, Bungie sold their rights to 343. What he did was, in an interview, he said that he wanted every game, every Halo game, to have some familiarity in the soundtrack. So he was the, he was the lead sound designer. And he made sure that there were at least there were new tracks, right? But there were some tracks that paid a homage to the to the first game, the one that started it all, and it kind of touched upon. He called it familiarity, but I believe that it could be touched upon as nostalgia. So, again, so like I said, there are different versions of this composition, "Walk in the Woods," in each Halo game. Uh, in Halo 2, uh, the composition was called Heretic Hero. And in Halo 3, the composition was called Another Walk. And so, even in other games, they had similar influences. Like, for example, Perilous Journey and Peril. Uh, Behold a Pill Horse on a Pill Horse. And even 
a gun pointed at the head of the universe was in Reach's tip of the spear. So, it's... He tried really hard to make the make the familiar tone. And once Bungie sold Halo to 343, there was no more of that in Halo 4 and Halo 5. And I think... I value soundtracks in games a lot like sometimes i'd literally buy games just because i like the soundtrack and i that would relate to me enjoying the game as well but halo 4 and 5 they had their flaws right and everyone knows about how 343 messed those up but for me the main reason why i didn't like those games was because it didn't feel the same like musically i mean it didn't feel like halo it the music felt d- manufactured differently and it was it was by a different people and on their own if it was if it was not associated with halo the soundtracks would be great but it was associated with halo and i couldn't make that association with the previous games so halo 4 and halo 5 um didn't have any sort of feeling or nostalgic feeling for me but then earlier this year um halo infinite which is also known as halo 6 halo infinite they did their gameplay reveal trailer i mentioned this earlier and i said that the game looked pretty solid besides graphics it looked like halo albeit it had sprinting it had much of the same sound effects the same mechanics and even the same art style one of the things that 343 did was they changed the art style and everyone was complaining about it so in halo infinite they brought the art style back but the one thing i really really wanted to touch upon was the music in halo infinite there was an instance in the trailer where you're riding up an elevator and a soundtrack starts playing and it's very surreal very ethereal and it sounds decent it sounds really good and then 30 seconds in they played the walk in the woods chord progression and I started tearing up. It was, it sounded really beautiful in that area. The soundtrack is called uh, Through the Trees, if anyone is interested. But yeah, um, it felt really nice to hear that same familiar nostalgic feeling in this new game. And that's why I have really high hopes for Halo Infinite. Screw the graphics. A minute for the music. Uh, how much of it would you attribute to it being like um, they have the they have the dude back on for the soundtrack, don't they? I don't think they do. Let me, oh, they I had can, him do something. I can double check. But how much of it? So I think the 
the way that they made four and five kind of connects to the expectations versus audience thing. Like they they expect or they they want people they think people expect the game to be this super high tech cool future thing, right? Because yeah. it's based in the future and it's kind of like that already. But yeah. then people actually don't really care about that that much. They care more about building off of what they've already had and maybe improving a few things, but like keeping the same, I'd say keeping the same formula would have been received better instead of adding clambering and stuff like that. Yeah, that was definitely something I brought up that it, it's Halo is a sci-fi shooter, but that doesn't mean that you should aspire to make a sci-fi shooter. You should aspire to make Halo. And adding new mechanics like clambering and uh, sprinting, that doesn't really bother me. But it's when you change the formula with gameplay and, um, again, music. It's That's when it starts to feel foreign, I, I, I think is the term. Yeah. The art style changed completely. The yeah. music changed. The, the combat changed a lot because of the flying, right? Yeah. <laughs> the ground pound. <laughs> <laughs> so, with Infinite, I was wondering how much of it do you think is attributed to, like, the the high hopes for it, how much of it is attributed to it seems like they're going back to the old ways? 100%. That's why I think it's going to be good. It's because they're listening to the fans. They're listening to the fans saying, I don't want this. And instead, they're reverting back. Not, they're not reverting back just for the sake of, you know, nostalgic appearances. They don't, they're not changing back just to make money because, again, like I said earlier, uh, previously, about remakes and reboots, right? They're doing it because it's what the fans want. The fans want the the new the old art style and even though the trailer looks the graphics in the trailer looked like the same as it did in 2007 with halo 3 it it still it feels like older despite all the new mechanics like grap the grapple hook yeah it feels like they're actually making a spiritual successor not a remake of like the greatest games of our childhood exactly and they're it's i think it's really good how they're incorporating the good and the bad from or the good from the halo 3 1 through 3 stuff and the good from 4 and 5 like they're not just pretending it didn't happen yeah that's that's another thing like halo 5 was a massive I wouldn't say it, it was it was it sold pretty well. Multiplayer was engaging, but massive failure on this campaign end. But they're not just gonna they're just gonna they're not just gonna retcon it. They're they're acknowledging that it existed and they're working off of 
the hole that they dug themselves into. And I have to give them respect for that. Okay. Um, on that note, do we want to talk about uh, some other personal experiences? Unless people have other things to add to that story. I think I think we're pretty good on the adding to the story. Akash, yeah. you want to go into personal experiences? Anything um, you haven't shared yet? I mean, for me personally, nostalgia, it sort of comes and goes for different things. Um, since we're on the top of the games, uh, I guess I could talk about this one uh, game that I used to play. I, I honestly don't remember the name of it, but I remember it, it was it was on one of those. Um, um, uh, do, do you guys know those game systems where it was just, you plug it in to your TV and it had that joystick, that single joystick? Yeah. So it was it was the one plug of plug and plays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was one of those, and it was like um, it was really fun, and I I just remember so many happy memories associated with that, and I have like like vague images of of that game but i don't remember the name but and i don't remember it in detail all i know is that uh, i just the only thing that i know about that are the happy memories from it so that's uh, i think it's interesting to see how even though i could not remember something in detail but still be like affected emotionally so much by that because it makes me happy and Another another thing that I want to share is that I remember. So there's this image in my head, in my in my brain of uh, this movie or this TV show I watched, and I only it's only one scene that I remember, but I remember in quite detail, and it was basically like um, there was this movie about like these anthropomorphic birds or ducks sort of like in looney tunes how they're the animals they can walk and talk and this one duck or bird i think he goes into a store and there's also this clock there and i remember the clock and i remember that he runs out and he gets on this motorcycle and he drives away and i i remember that scene and but I don't remember what movie or show that was from, um, what cartoon that was from, but I just remember feeling really happy when I remember that. Do you remember what the, what brand the plug and play thing was? I don't, I have the slightest. Okay. It wasn't SpongeBob or something? No, I don't think so. Oh, oh I remember it, it, the I game. The game was like a side scroller game. Okay. Oh, it was like a Game and Watch or something. I I don't know. I There's no way. Who knows? I think Game and Watch was like Japan only. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know. I remember. I remember the the color orange being associated because I think I remember there was a lot of orange in that in that game. Pac Man? No, it wasn't Pac Man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I got a. Nowadays, my nostalgia usually is more on like the depressing side. If I 
if I'm really down, I have a few albums I'll listen to. And I don't know why they, they do make me feel better, but I know they're like purely associated with when I, I was like down for the count, like in like a way worse mood than I am like usually. There, there are two albums mainly. They're, so just for anybody listening who's looking for something, Kelsey Cutler, How to Be Human, and John Bellion, and the most latest one, I don't remember what it's called. But the, the point being is they're more on the complex, softer side of the stuff that I listen to. And I guess remembering them just helps me almost remember the pain I've gone through and realize I can, I can push through. Like this is just a hitch in the road. Okay. I think it's, it's really important to remember that You know, like it feels bittersweet, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's bitter kind of helps you push through. I don't know how to explain that. Yeah, but... no, no, it, it makes sense. If you know, you know. It's one of those things. <laughs> Maybe I can illustrate it better with an example I have. So. I recently finished watching Parasite. Um, I don't remember when it came out. I watched the Netflix dub. Didn't think it was terrible. But, um... I don't know if it's just me or not, but I kind of... I either have a lot of empathy or I easily associate with a character or something like that. And during the anime, it feels pretty good. And it's great. And then when it's over, it feels kind of terrible because it's over. Like it's empty almost. this escape that you had before is over. And I don't know, I guess the reason I feel like this is because before, when I was in, like, a weird relationship, I used, um, I watched Sword Art Online and stuff, like, as an escape. And I had all these negative feelings associated with it. Even though they were negative, like, oh no. This, this thing I'm watching is over. I have to go back to real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's just because I came into this episode under the impression all of you guys only had positive nostalgia. And I didn't even know that was a thing for like the longest time. Uh, I guess it's just like a difference in how you process certain things and how you remember different experiences. Yeah. I'm trying to look at it optimistically. 
it's really good because it shows you where exactly you came from. It's that unifier of the self thing. It reminds you exactly how you felt during this time where you felt terrible for some memories. Yeah. So it absolutely doesn't have to be only positive or only negative. But, um... You know, I want to emphasize how important the mood of your time of reflection is on the thing you're reflecting on. Because when I finished the the show, ever since I finished the show, honestly, I've been questioning whether or not my biochemistry is, like, normal. Because I've been in this depressive feedback loop for, like, a week. And, you know, maybe after this week, maybe in a little bit, I'll get over this impermanence of things, and it will be better in the long run, and I'll have improved because I've reconnected with the self and I'll have motivation again, right? Mm. But then there's another part of me that's scared that what if this is just something I've been hiding from a long time and this brought up this underlying issue of like neurochemistry or something like that. Mm. And I think it's yeah, I go ahead. Okay. Um, I think it's important that if you can manage it, just to let it sink in and to process it fully, because it's a lot easier to run away and escape, but it's never a permanent solution. Right. And even just remembering those shows that you watched in the past are, are going to help you process it. Maybe like go back to them have them in the background while you like think about whatever thing is plaguing you and i think in the long run for sure it's worth your time dealing with it now rather than later yeah one thing i have to respond to that is the thoughts i have from before are almost identical and they're destructive Mm. so the the reason why i'm kind of hesitant to do what you're suggesting is just i don't want to perpetuate this feedback loop of garbage where i think about like necking myself right yeah so i don't know i was just i I brought that one up because i was interested what you guys think so if you guys have anything else uh, Akash, I'm curious what your input is. Oh, what do you want my input on specifically? On the the processing of, I guess, depressive thought. So, um, that and you know, I don't know if there's that much to say actually. I think we might have talked about it earlier. 
when I brought up uh, self-destructive <laughs> thinking with nostalgia or self-destructive nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And I guess this is just another iteration of that, I suppose. Right. It's a, I would think it's a little different. Like the focus is definitely somewhere else. I, I guess there is a healthy way of coping. And if you, you're scared of going to the extreme, you have to ground yourself back in, in those quote unquote distractions, I guess. So it, don't bite off more than you can chew, but eventually you have to eat the whole pie. Yeah. Because the one thing I'm thinking about now is at what point is at what point is like reflecting on yourself through nostalgia just not useful anymore? Because honestly, I felt pretty okay before watching that series again. Hmm. Honestly, for me, I don't, um, I, I honestly don't know because I think I would imagine for everyone, it's a bit different, you know, so you can't really have a, like a clear cut umbrella answer. Of like at what point does it become right. more harmful than beneficial? But um, I would always say less is definitely would be a lot more beneficial to yourself because uh, in my experience, dwelling on the past doesn't really do much or rather reflecting on yourself i think reflecting on yourself has a lot of benefits especially reflecting on yourself through the past if you're looking at yourself in the past and thinking about how you are in the present i think that could open up a lot of potential for self-development but i think dwelling then that at that point it becomes a bit of a self-destructive feature because dwelling sort of goes beyond the realm of self-reflection and it becomes this idea of trying to achieve something that you can't really achieve because nobody can nobody can bring back the past uh, one thing i wanted to um gee do you have an experience you'd like to share just before diverging too much and then ending off the episode I think uh, I feel like I shared enough. Okay. Anything else is just um, like you said um, unproductive dwelling on the past. Um, what I meant by that is like when it's not sharing your experiences with other people because who we interact with can kind of like the, again, the psychological profile when you're sharing it is important. And say you're like with a friend group and you're sharing like your most embarrassing moment or something like that, you know, that's a great way to connect with people. So 
when I said that, it wasn't to dissuade people from saying it during this con, like this setting. Mm-hmm. It was just when you're alone and you're in that kind of feedback loop that you just we talked about before. At what point is that like just not useful? The last time I did that, I did it to calm someone down when they were feeling bad. And then it transitioned into them no longer feeling bad and instead making me feel bad. So I'm good. Seriously. Okay. Um, are you guys all familiar with the Eightfold Path? No. Hold on a second. I need to make sure I'm not an idiot. Is this the Buddhist teaching? That, that's what it sounds like. I think it's Buddhist and Hindu, but I'm not sure. It's Well, it's definitely a Buddhist. Yeah. From what I know. So, there's the four... I forgot, there's like the four noble truths, and then there's the eightfold path. And one of like the the biggest teaching is letting go of impermanence. Like appreciating things now as they are, and this kind of contradicts this whole nostalgia thing. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense logically, too, because if we go off the assumption, well, not the assumption, but if we accept that nothing is permanent and we aren't going to get anything back, then dwelling on the past and being nostalgic for things, it does pretty much zip. And rather appreciating things now so that... uh, you because you might you might not have the chance to later is um mm-hmm. it, it's it's logical you know it's not just not just a spiritual thing purely spiritual yeah okay i thought that was good to bring up because it's like um very opposite of what we we've been talking about the whole time it's for something for perspective i guess yeah so, um, with that, unless do we have anything else to say? Nope. I feel like we're good. All right, we we done. Yeah. Oh, you wanna end us uh, off? Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for our episode. I want to thank everyone for listening in. We hope you had an enjoyable time. This has been a very enjoyable episode to talk about. We had a uh, a very nice, riveting conversation. <laughs> And for the listeners, I know quarantine can be a challenging situation, but hang in there. In the meantime, if you haven't already, please listen to our other episodes. Also, follow us on Instagram at True Leisure Podcast and on Twitter at True Leisure for more updates. We hope you have a wonderful day, and please stay tuned for the next episode. We will be back with some more exciting topics and some more riveting discussions. Have a good one.